Every single day you wake up, you have the opportunity to start over, to make a difference, to right a wrong, to shift your life into a better direction. Thankfully, we have a God that gives us that second chance every day. We hope this show will bring you information and stories that will inspire you to be the best you can be. This is Every Day is a Second Chance, presented by Heyman Hoke. Thank you for joining us, and God bless. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Every Day is a Second Chance. I am your host, Fred Heyman. Uh, today, we've got a very special guest with us, and I'll probably mess up his last name because I, I, don't, I, I seem to do that all the time, but Josh Warmbrot is with us today. Josh, I met through our guest on our very first show, uh, Byron Ricks. Byron and Josh do the Father Factor podcast together, and he's got a great second chance story that he wants to share with us today that I'm really excited to get to. But those of you all who have not uh, listened to us or watched us before, this is a show about hope. Uh, I put this show together based on a book that I'm writing called Every Day is a Second Chance. Uh, and it's based on the fact that in 2007, I went through a near-death experience. And through that, God changed the direction of my life and made me realize that I had made some life choices before that that weren't the smartest and weren't in uh, line with His will. And I kind of changed my direction. And during that time, God put this on my heart that I needed to do this and I needed to write this book. But unfortunately, I've been a Jonah and it's taken me 16 years to get through the book. I'm about probably three quarters through at this point. But as we were talking about the book one day, somebody suggested doing the podcast. And so that's why we're here. We want this show to be a show of hope. We want it to be a show that uh, emphasizes the fact that we have a God of second chances and that every day we are alive, breathing on this earth, we have the opportunity to go in a different direction, to change our lives for the better to right or wrong, to change our attitudes, or to just you know, do what God wants us to do for a change. Some of us need to come to God and realize that He is there and He is control and He wants us to do right. And some of us need to come back to God. And, and I think we all go through that at different times of our lives. So I'm going to introduce Josh. Thank you, Josh, for, for joining us today. Um, I'm just going to kind of let you dive in and share with our, our audience what an amazing life that God has given you. Uh, and, and I say amazing because we talked a little bit before this. You know, some people always say they want a good life. <laughs> and, and I think the human factor of us wants a good life. But all of us at some level have an amazing life. And it's how we look at that. And sometimes that's not always good, but it's still amazing. So tell us a little bit about you. All right. Well, no, I mean, to keep it simple, it's, uh, I was a product of uh, teenagers not being uh, watched correctly, I guess, <laughs> right? Okay. Where'd um, you grow up? Uh, grew up kind of everywhere. Okay. It's a complex story, kind of been everywhere. Was originally, I was born in uh, Springfield, Ohio, went to, moved to Wisconsin, Texas, um, Ohio, just kind of all over the place. Again, my mom, my mother was young, trying to just figure her life out. I think you said your teenager. mom was a teenager when she right. had you. Right. So it's, it's funny. I actually got to go to the same high school twice. 
once in womb and once out, right? Because I went back uh, to be with my biological father in my final two years of high school. Okay. So it was the opportunity to kind of go back to where it started, even though I didn't remember much. So but, you come from a broken family. Oh, yes, absolutely. And and I think you told me ahead of time before the show, your mom was Anglo, your father was black, mm -hmm. and then your stepfather was Anglo. Correct. So you kind of had all that going on during life of that racial issues. And uh, and I think you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, racial tension mm -hmm. uh, because of that being of, of mixed race. Um, but where did your life take you? Trouble. Um, and, and why, why, I would why say, was that? Why, why do you think? I think that those, brittle... those early years where we ran around a lot trying to just figure out, and again, it was survival. So it's no, it's no knock to my mother. Mm -hmm. I understand, especially now, because I had a child in my, I was 19 and then turned 20 shortly after her. So okay. I guess technically as a teen. But the, the identity issues, the, the lack of security, the lack of nurturing led me to look for it everywhere else, right? Right. And that's, that, that was really the life happened to me. And a lot of people out there think that they're just reacting to what happened before. Now they're reacting to the reaction to that reaction, right? Mm -hmm. And they get lost. Mm -hmm. And so I would say my life took me into that reactive state of just simply grabbing on to whatever I could to survive. And where, where did that take you down? What, down what, I'm sure it wasn't a very good road. <clears throat> no, I mean, I was, I was very good at bad things. Um, okay, that's <laughs> right? a real good way to put it. <laughs> I was good at bad things. Um, you know, we, we lived in rough areas. I was involved in, in lots of different, um, what's, the, what's the correct word? I guess crime. I was just saying yeah. it right. Okay. Then I got locked up in Georgia. How old were you? And, that's a great question. 22, maybe? 21, 20s, 21, 20. 22, somewhere in there. Okay. And I was a single father. Okay. So I'm panicking because where's my daughter? What's going on? And then <clears throat> was locked up. Couldn't get a bond until I met God, right? <laughs> okay. Get, so so you, but prior to that experience, what would you, how would you consider your faith? I knew there was a God, but the way he was represented to me was terrible. Okay. Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side was a pastor. And so there's a lot of faith talk, but I saw a lot of behaviors from the Christian people that wasn't love. A lot of walk the walk, but not talk the talk. Right. And that's like, or you talk can't talk, not walk the walk. How are you? How is God love? Right. And you're a Christian and mm. we're not operating in kindness and in love. Mm. There's a lot of meanness. There's a lot of. Um, divisiveness, things like that, that I saw. So to me, it was hard to grasp onto something that just was contradictory to itself. Sure, sure. So you get locked up and, and you said you couldn't get your bond until you met God. Tell right. me about that. <clears throat> well, I mean, right when I got in there, I mean, I was already like, I'm hot. I've been locked in a paddy wagon for a long time. Um, now it's the, we're all into this tiny holding cell. There's no room. And I wanted to sit down. The guy was laying in the way, you know, had size on me. Uh -huh. And I told him to move. He didn't hear me. So I smacked his feet off of the bench and sat down. He looked at me like I was crazy. I looked at him like he was crazy. And uh, he pulled his feet in and I got to sit down. From I didn't realize that he was in there for 
you know, seven murders with his bare hands. Oh, wow. Um, and like I said, he had size on me. He probably would have taken me. Uh -huh. But that got people talking. So immediately there was a tension on me because I, I didn't know who that was. I was just tired. You know, uh -huh. it wasn't some tough, brave act. It was, I guess, foolishness. Uh -huh. But because of that, one of the older guys I was locked up in there, you know, started trying to talk to me. Like, man, I'm too old to be in here. I've been doing this my whole life. I've seen the way you handled yourself. You know, you're going to be a career uh, repeat in and out of this place if you keep moving like that because you're going to continue to get charges stacked on you. Mm -hmm. So he kind of introduced it then. That was orientation. Then they started, once you got in Gen Pop, there's Bible studies. These pastors would come in and, and talk Gen to Pop, us. for those that may not know, general population. So you were... How long were you in altogether? Thank God, I got. Uh, that's that's where God came in. Okay. Um, once I once I gave my life to God in one of those Bible studies, um, and it was funny because he was talking about it was the uh, Rahab, you know how she hid them, the, the spies in the city, and how right. he used a prostitute. So the pastor first thing he said to me, locked eyes, and told me I was garbage. You're trash. You're the bottom of the barrel. And I'm like, you know where we're at. But he was trying to drive home a point to say that's who God loves to use, right? Those, those are the people that when they're at that place, they're authentic. You know where they stand. You know where you stand. There's no charade, right? So talking through that in Second Chances, it kind of got me thinking. So talking with my cellmate who was also in that Bible study, we ended up getting saved in there uh, together. Wow. And we, I've talked about this on shows before, but, you know, People, I think, kind of think it's a joke to say, oh, he found Christ in prison or he found God in prison. <laughs> but that's where God is. And, right. and I'll be honest, I wasn't one of those that felt that way. I, I was a cop before I went to law school. I was on the streets and I dealt with some really bad people. And I, I had that kind of cop cynical mentality. And I thought, you know, these people that go to prison, they deserve to be there. They're not good people. And for the longest time, people kept nudging me to do a prison ministry. And I, I had a hard heart. I wouldn't do it because I thought, you know, I, I didn't like them when I locked them up. I don't want to go spend time with them, you know? Yeah. And so I finally listened to God because I know, you know, God nudges us. He didn't force us to do anything, but he'll nudge us and nudge us and nudge us. And it's up to us to listen. And this was one of those that it took me a while. But finally, I sat there one day in a men's Bible study. And one of the guys was talking about going on one of these. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I remember coming out of that experience. I went down to Huntsville, Texas, maximum security lockups down there. And I remember coming out of that experience going, God really does live in prison. Mm-hmm. Because this is these people, I left. I, I I went in there thinking they were scum of the earth. I left there thinking they were lost souls, and God wants lost souls. Mm -hmm. And and so I met some of the nicest, most wonderful, God-loving men that weekend that are locked up. No, for sure. And I mean, they call it jailhouse religion, but yeah. And I, I don't. I don't think God sees it that way. I don't think He sees that that way either. And it's and and, and it, prison, just like anywhere else, or jail, whether you know, wherever it is, 
God looks at the heart. Mm-hmm. And sure, there are some people that come out and they'll try to use that as an excuse. Oh, I found God. Well, did you or didn't you not? But the same thing is outside in in, in population. You know, and people think that you know you go to church and they they pretend. Mm-hmm. But like you said, you grew up with a, people that pretended, but th- they didn't really show it. And, and God looks at our hearts and wants to know where where our heart is. Right. And and that's between us and God. And and so he touched your heart. It sounds like well, he touched my heart. I was also hard headed. Right. Okay. Um, he touched my heart, and it took some time. Uh, I finally had a court date because I didn't even have a court date. They, they, you'll get one eventually. Mm-hmm. So I got the court date after I gave my life. My bigger charges were, you know, gone. They messed up something with evidence. The jails were overcrowded, and so they suspended my sentence and gave me, um, let me out. Time served. Suspended, but basically okay. she said, when you violate again, they use the word when, when you violate again, you're going to redo the full sentence in addition to your new charge. Okay. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be back. Okay. And it's funny, I was kind of told the same thing when I processed out. You should remember your number because I know you'll be back. And well, I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I forgot it. But well, Unfortunately, that the recidivism rate in America is real high. No, it's, it's crazy high um, because it's you get put out with nothing and nowhere and told not to associate with the people that you knew, which all live in your same community. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I got out and was, God just continued to show up and show up and show up. And we don't have time for, for it in this show, but the way that he showed up in tangible ways, um, so you yeah, know, just We really, got about another 15 minutes. I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to hear some of those examples. Yeah, no, for sure. So, I mean, to summarize some of it would be I got out, was given false information because when you get out, they give you a one-way you know, ticket. I was in Atlanta, so I can jump on Marta and get a transfer pass to Clayco, where, wherever I needed to go. Okay. So I was going to go find my people, and I was told they were staying here, which they weren't. Ended up in the wrong place, no money, stuck. Somebody gave me the bus fare plus an additional 25 cents. So they gave me like a dollar fifty, I think it was a dollar twenty-five. I finally make it. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going. Um, again, it's a long, complex story, but long story short, with that, I ended up at this church in a random day of the week's parking lot on Campbellton Road in downtown Atlanta. Anybody know anything about Atlanta? Don't know. Okay, that. Why are you out there? But uh, I showed up. I walked in. They had worship playing. I was in pain, I was tired, I didn't know what I was doing, where I was going, nothing. And uh, walk in to this full worship set service, sat down, and they took um, offering. I remember holding on to that 25 cent, like, well, this is an oatmeal cream pie, you know, this is something to eat. Right. And uh, I tried to throw it across the envelope because they had those big metal, I don't know why to do metal, right? <laughs> and it, it hit the bottom and donged. And it caught the attention of you know, everybody, so I was embarrassed. So once the service was uh, concluded, you know, the, the head pastor approached me, and he brought one of his deacons and said, hey, what's going on? Something was off. I just told him, you know, this is what's happening. He said, all right, cool. Well, let me take you to a shelter. So I jump in. We're supposed to be heading to a shelter. He runs to Wendy's, gives me something to eat. Uh, gave me, it's been so long now, I think $50 
and so that 25 cent became $50. Right. Right. When I was holding on to That's it. not a coincidence. Right. And so they ended up saying, when was the last time you had a proper night's sleep and all of that? I told him. He pulls into a hotel, uh, Days in by Turner Field. And he's like, hey. I'm like, nah, look, man, I don't know what you're doing. I'm, I don't roll that way. But he's like, no, just come in here. And I'm like, nah, you're not getting me a room. It's cool. Take me to the shelter. And he said, look, I get a lot of discounts. I'm going to go in there and just see what they're talking about. Well, we walked in there, and he just received discount on discount. Like, it was almost gave him the room for free. Wow. So I was able to go up there. And um, in that moment, he looked at me, so let me pray for you and get out of here. And so he prayed over me, and then he gave me a hug. And when he hugged me, it's like I fully broke down, like wow. like a child, and wept. Because it didn't feel like a man was hugging me. It was more like, it felt like God himself hugged right. me. So from there, I had my cell phone. I had to go track down my stuff. And a disabled cell phone started ringing. And my friend who was stationed in Afghanistan or Iraq, one of the two, paid my cell phone bill just because so he could talk to me. So just there's so many examples like that. True, true like modern day miracles, I guess you could say. Right. There's too many um, for coincidence. I had a, got a bus pass, like somebody left their bus pass on the bus right next to me and disappeared. So there's just so many examples of God providing and solidifying my faith because it was a struggle getting out. Like you say, second chance. Sometimes you got to start over. Right. And starting over is scary. Well, and, and the thing I'm finding amazing about your story is not only the things that God did, because I always say that um, a coincidence is something God doesn't give, get credit for. Right. Because there are no coincidences if you're a believer. And as you walk through that, though, and maybe I should ask this question instead of is it, assume, as you walk through that, did you see those as miracles from God? Oh, yes. And some of them were, had to be humorous for me to see it. Because, I, like I said, I didn't have a working cell phone. And I asked a bus driver if I could use his phone because I was going to call a friend of mine and say, uh -huh. hey, can I stay with you? Uh, he didn't answer. And so I went and sat down on the bus. And, you know, we start to, right before we're getting ready to pull away, and the whole bus is now loaded, his phone starts ringing. God is an awesome God. There's a ringtone. And he said, it's for you. You're and he looked me. back at me and said, it's for you. Oh, my God. And so the whole bus is going to be like, how are you getting a phone call on the bus driver's phone? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I grabbed it. It was my man, Darius. He's like, yeah, come come meet me over here. Uh, we didn't even, we weren't able to meet up. His phone uh -huh. died and we couldn't find each other. So, but it was just those those humorous indicators that says, no, nah, there's, Quit guessing this. I'm in control. Um, he I gave me an orange and a banana, and he told me to eat. And so there was, just, there was signs, you know, Matthew 6 talks about, you know, uh, where the, the birds leave the nest not knowing what they're going to eat, but do I, are you not more worthy than them, right? right? Right. And so those were the examples. I fed you. I gave you transportation. Now I gave you shelter. Like, I have met all of your needs upon release, right? So, and that's what's crazy is, here we are sitting downtown looking at a view on a podcast um, and I'm living a life that I could have, I would have fought the old me for trying to lie to me saying that I would have lived. So where did you take your life from that moment? 
And what are you doing today? Well, from what I'm doing today is I've, I've been in sales, uh, coaching, consulting for, for years. So I have a consulting company that helps organizations and ind individual plans as well meet their goals, kind of like a, a private trainer would in the gym, mm -hmm. but with your sales goals, your organization goals, whatever that is. In addition to just really doing a culture audit, seeing is this a healthy culture for your where you're conducting business? Um, so I guess I've made up a title, I guess, right? Okay. That's what consultants do, is go in there and tell people what they suggest. Okay. But that really came through all of the, the struggles I came through in life, whether Wait, identity, really? whether it was um, the mishandling I had from family, whether it was you know being locked up, having to integrate into neighborhoods that I wasn't from, and if they don't know you, there's problems. It all came back to emotional intelligence. So, I mean, for me, I'm so thankful for everything I've been through because what I use in my everyday life now as, as a professional mm -hmm. is exactly what I learned through survival in those trying times. And that's just being emotionally aware, right? Emotional right. intelligence, emotionally resilient, and being able to take a look outside of the feeling. And that's really what a lot of people and organizations lack because we get so caught up in how it impacts us. And when you're constantly impacted, a lot of those type of people tend to want to serve others because they understand the weight and the heaviness that comes with that, that crushing. Mm -hmm. So my heart is to serve, help people reach their goals, uh, meet needs that they want to set for their family because they say a good man leaves an inheritance for his children and his children's children. Mm -hmm. I want to help people reach those goals, not just in the marketplace, but be able to take what they're making in the marketplace and reinvest that towards whatever their passion is so that they can leave something behind more than, not just money, of course, but right. relationships, mindset, all of those things. So being able to take all of that experience to that is just God, right? That's, yeah. that's how he is. Well, we were talking a little bit before the show. I, I met you through Byron, mm -hmm. and I, I was asking you, you know, how, how long have you been in the Dallas-Fort Worth? What brought you here, and, and, and how did you meet Byron to, to start doing the Father Factor podcast? And again, it's a complex <laughs> question. So um, homelessness brought me to Dallas Metroplex. Uh, and how old were you then? I was... 20, early 20s still got out. Okay, so was this homeless was there. after that, not Ended too long up, after. Right, so it was okay. 2008, I believe, is when I got here. When the economy was horrible. Which... Right, but to me, it looked wonderful compared to Atlanta. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm so, sure. Uh, I got here, started working with the staging company, um, Model My Home. And, you know, she was started out of her garage and then just now is blowing up crazy. Wow. But watching how she moved and her giving me that second chance you know she heard my whole story and it was very graphic uh -huh. and the next day she gave me keys to her warehouse the keys to the truck a company credit card and uh, paid for real estate school and it was like here you go i'm like did you not hear my story why are you trusting me with wow. like I, you gave me all of the tools i need to rob you right right and uh she's and like i'm a professional <laughs> right <laughs> so and that was 2009 2010 or somewhere in there but what that my point with that is is that God has been you know having to reaffirm me because I didn't have traditional parents right. affirmation wasn't there so right. jailhouse religion didn't click for me because I was it was reaffirmed 
And through those relationships with, uh, with Model My Home, I met another lady who invited me to her church, which was where uh, Byron ended up being a guest speaker a few months later. Okay. And that's kind of where we connected. So it's kind of a, 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 a God network, right, of right. people that made the right handoffs. Well, and, and I think I'd like you to share, I think when you, you told me when you went to the church that you met Byron at, yeah. you weren't sure whether you're going to be welcome. Right. I don't know if I'd be welcome or tolerated. And why? Well, it's primarily a, a more of a well-done or uppity black church, right? And my experience was is that me being so light, in addition to being as ghetto as I was, that okay. they're going to be like, oh, no, nah. <laughs> oh, nah, this isn't going to work. What is opposite? There's a lot of love because I, I've been rejected by many churches mm -hmm. stepping and just being different. Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't know how that was going to go. And then Byron wasn't there at that point. And that's what was crazy was I had the, the community, the people, and that's when they knew the personalities would mesh. But it took a while for him and I to just, we're hard-headed, except like, all right, let's, what, what does he got for me? What do I got for him? Like, what's the point of this? But, but it sounds to me like your, your, your perception of the church was that it was an uppity, kind of a higher income, a higher class, mm -hmm. socioeconomic class of black people. Mm -hmm. And your thoughts going in was, no, this is probably not going to be, they're not going to no. accept me, et cetera. Right. It's and, both the and, black and the social status because, I mean, I rolled into the parking lot on the empty, was praying like, how are we gonna get to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> right? And there's Benzes and uh, Hummers and Escalades and nice cars. I'm like, oh man, we gotta park in the back, uh, hide this thing. Because it was, it was there's, there's colorism, there's racism, and there is classism, right? right? right. And it felt like all of that was meeting you had it inside, all against of that, you. <laughs> inside of those doors. <laughs> and and the total opposite, it sounds like, is what happened. Correct. That's Absolute amazing. opposite. That's, that's fantastic. It was, it was wild. I, it, it, was, um, it was God. I felt that. Um, I go to a church called Hope Fellowship in Frisco. Uh, John McKenzie is the lead pastor. And John, back in the day when the, all the police officers were killed in downtown Dallas, that um, what five or six, seven of them, I guess, were gunned down. Um, John announced in our church that one community church was going to have a vigil for these officers. And we were all invited. Well, I didn't know one community church was predominantly a black church. I didn't know anything mm -hmm. about one community church. But I did know from the talk that John and, and the pastor of one community, Con Conway, were close. So I go to this vigil. And I walk into the vigil. And I look around and the, I'm not, you know, I'm not proud of it, but the first thought in my mind was, I'm the only white person in here. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to expect. You know, I, I think I felt kind of like you did, is that, oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm, I'm not one of them. Right. And the love that church gave me within 15 minutes of being there, I felt like this is what heaven is. Heaven's not a color. Heaven's not, you know, a status. Heaven is people loving people. Mm -hmm. And it was the coolest feeling I've ever, I'm getting emotional, sorry. Coolest feeling I'd ever met or felt to be in a community of people that weren't like me, 
Mm -hmm. But it didn't matter. Right. It was so amazing. And during that, one of the pastors that spoke said, this isn't about black and white. Mm -hmm. This isn't about, and he's talking about the shooting. And he says, this is about good versus evil. Right. And I think too many people, too many churches, too many politics, race, whatever, we forget that. We forget that we're to be good and we're to work for the good and the glory against bad. Right. And it doesn't matter. But that's so cool that they accepted you. You and you went to church there for a while. It sounded like yeah, we went for a while. We we ended up being the head of student ministry, uh, fifth through twelfth grade. And I'll tell you, fifth oh, wow. and sixth grade was a struggle for me. Just <laughs> I bet oh man. Uh, but and then you, know, you met there, Byron. Met Byron. You guys started doing some recordings together. Now you're on yeah. the podcast together. Well, I'm on the podcast together. And we got a couple minutes for we got to wrap up. But can you tell our our audience what? What is the purpose of the podcast? What are you guys telling people about? Uh, well, it's it's simply and why the, you wanted to do it. Uh, you know the father factor. You know I was a single father to my to my daughter, right? You know her mother just young, just wasn't ready. So I've had her her whole life. I didn't have a father figure in my life, and those that were was either like you know black dad came in at age fifteen. Mm-hmm. You know, white dad was around here and there throughout because we moved a lot, right? So not having consistency mm-hmm. and knowing the impact and seeing, especially seeing with my son, who he doesn't know what it looks like to not have mom and dad at home. Right. And so it's a, I see a, a security in him from just a younger age, mm-hmm. whereas my daughter was, it's different because her mother's gone. So she showed a lot of the same side effects really? that we talk about in uh, Byron's book. Mm-hmm. So getting did, out there. Did you and, tell me you did a book? I'm, I'm actively writing one. Okay, and you it's, know. you got a title for it? I do. What's it going to be called? Uh, it's called Baker's Chocolate. Baker's Chocolate. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I like that. So it's just, and it's going to be about on, your uh, life? It's really tips on sweetening your life, okay. right? Because you know, a lot sweet. of That's a lot of people think that they're sweet. It, it came down to I had a sales rep that I managed that she's like, "I'm I'm sweet," and I'm like, "Yeah, like Baker's chocolate." And ah. then from there, it kind of hit me like, you know, that's a lot like our lives. There's certain things, spiritual steps that we can do to sweeten the life or enrich in our life, right? So that's awesome. Working on that, Byron was one of the reasons we connected early on was to give me some direction since he wrote his book, right? So. Just bringing awareness to fathers um, that you you do matter. Whether you have, like we talked about angry mama drama, yeah. right? Being kept from your children, yeah. keep pursuing. It's right. for the kids that may not have a father and understand that you're not alone. I used right. to sit at the lunch table on those father-son lunch days and be jealous seeing that dads were showing up and I didn't have one. Yeah. So there's there's it's a multitude of packaging because it's something that affects everybody. Yes, it when does. it comes to father, whether it's you had dad at home but he was emotionally unavailable, whether you had a great father and it's impacted you in a great way, there's some sort of factoring that comes into whenever you talk about the subject of a father. That's awesome. Well, when you get your book done, I want you back. I want okay. you to, so we can because that sounds awesome. Uh, I can't thank you enough, Josh, for taking the time to be with us today to share your story. Um, but I want everybody to know out there that that God puts us through things in our lives and it doesn't always feel good and it doesn't always feel uh, happy 
or, or, or like we're really doing what we're supposed to be doing. But I, Josh said earlier when we were talking that he had an amazing life. And, and that amazing didn't mean great. Because mm -hmm. there was a lot of things that weren't so great in it. But it's all a matter of perspective. And, and that's what Second Chance is all about. We all have issues in our life. We all have things that we go through. What are we going to do with it tomorrow? Right. Where are we going to take it tomorrow? I was thinking the other day, I was listening to, and they were talking about uh, going through motorcycle training when you learn how to ride a motorcycle. One of the first things they teach you when you learn to ride a motorcycle is look where you're going, not where you are or where you've mm -hmm. been. Because if you're taking the motorcycle and you're going to turn it, you look down the road in front of you, you're going to screw up that turn. You're going to, you know, but if you look where you're taking that bike, it's much easier. I think that's our life. Right. We got to look where we're going and, and, and we got to look ahead and, and, and look at what are we going to do good tomorrow, today and tomorrow. Right. Well, thanks, Josh. God bless you. God bless you for everything that you do. And we'll see you back soon when you get that book done. All right. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. God bless everybody. I hope you have a great day. Thanks again for listening to us today. See you later.